0: I'm Silas Farley, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. We begin this new season with a two-part episode celebrating the brilliant dancer and choreographer Ulysses Dove. In part one, we will zoom in on Red Angels, which Dove choreographed on New York City Ballet in 1994. To illuminate Red Angels, I'll be joined by members of its original cast. In part two, we'll zoom out to explore Ulysses' multifaceted life and creativity. For this, my guest is Alfred Dove, Ulysses' younger brother, who serves as the director and administrator of Ulysses Dove's artistic estate. I'd like to anchor part one with a brief overview of Ulysses Dove's life. He was born in Columbia, South Carolina on January 17, 1947. He was educated in private schools in South Carolina and Georgia before beginning his pre-medical studies at Howard University. While at Howard, he saw a performance of the Martha Graham Dance Company and was awestruck by the dancer Mary Hinkson. In a later profile in Essence magazine, Dove recalled that life-changing experience of seeing Hinkson dance with these words. I felt like I'd seen God. After that I said, I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to dance like that. Dove transferred from Howard to the dance program at the University of Wisconsin, and then to Bennington College, where he graduated with his dance degree. He then moved to New York. While attending classes at the Merce Cunningham studio, he was spotted by Cunningham, who invited Dove to join his company. Ulysses danced for Merce for three years, and then danced seven years for Alvin Ailey. At Mr. Ailey's invitation, Dove made his first works, I See the Moon and the Moon Sees Me, for Ailey's second company, and Inside, which was a solo for Judith Jamieson. He then embarked on a remarkable choreographic career, making a body of work for an array of companies, including Bad Blood for the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theatre, Vespers for Dayton Contemporary Dance Company, Episodes for what is now the English National Ballet, Serious Pleasures for American Ballet Theatre and Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven for the Royal Swedish Ballet. Dove also served as the assistant director of the Choreographic Research Group of the Paris Opera Ballet, in which capacity he taught modern dance and made new ballets. He won an Emmy for Two by Dove, a PBS special that presented Vespers and Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven, along with interviews and documentary rehearsal footage. He choreographed two of his very last works on New York City Ballet, the 1994 Red Angels and the 1996 Twilight. Twilight was set to a hypnotic saxophone ensemble score by Michael Torkey and premiered less than a month before Dove's passing. Ulysses Dove's ballets were a unique blend of virtuosity and passion, and they challenged and astonished both his dancers and audiences. With that background, let's turn our attention to Red Angels. Dove choreographed this work for the 1994 installment of City Ballet's Diamond Project, a program for new choreography initiated by former ballet master-in-chief Peter Martins and the philanthropist Irene Diamond. The music is a solo for Electric Violin by Richard Einhorn, entitled Maxwell's Demon. Since its first performance, it has almost exclusively been played by violinist Mary Rowell. Ulysses made the work for four City Ballet principal dancers, Albert Evans, Darcy Kistler, Wendy Whelan, and Peter Boll. For this conversation, I'm joined by Mary Rowell, City Ballet's Associate Artistic Director, Wendy Whelan, and Pacific Northwest Ballet's Artistic Director, Peter Boll. Enjoy. Peter Bowl, Wendy Whelan, Mary Rowell, welcome to the Hear the Dance podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me today.
1: Great to see you guys again. That's
0: okay. Red Angels reunion. Yeah. So Peter, I wanted to start with you and ask you, what was your first exposure to Ulysses Dove's work? Had you seen any of his other ballets before he came to make Red Angels on City Ballet?
2: You know, I'm not sure because I'd certainly seen companies that presented his works, but the only one that I remember clearly was Serious Pleasures. Um, I had a friend who was in ABT at the time. He had reached out and said, there's this amazing ballet happening right now at American Ballet Theater. I'm in the second cast, would you come see it? And it did feel like a departure to me. It felt like some new territory that I wasn't aware of. It felt like it was brave. I mean, that, that work is really brave. It takes on um, dark themes, questions of humanity in, in a sort of darker side questions of lust, um, impulse, and just some incredible dancing. I don't know how ultimately successful the piece was for ABT, and uh, obviously you know that Civic Northwest Ballet has done it since. But um, yeah, it felt like kind of entering a new era, and um, I was inspired by it. And I was thrilled when I heard that Ulysses was gonna come to New York City Ballet, and I was hoping I had a shot at being able to work with him.
0: And how did that come about when he came to City Ballet? Did you just see your name on the casting sheet? Did Ulysses do a small kind of audition rehearsal? So we
2: had an old fashioned recording (laughs) that we it's like a smoke signal or something but we would call the rehearsal tape every night and they would list the rehearsals and you'd have to listen for a good 15 minutes to find out when your rehearsals were you'd write it down because you'd forget something and then show up at the wrong time but they said that choreographer ulysses dub would be watching company class the following day Um, As I learned from Wendy, that he already knew all about Wendy, (laughs) had already selected her. But the rest of us, he didn't know. So he came to company class to see us. And I think everybody was excited by the possibility of working with Ulysses Dove. And the class was packed. We were probably about 95 dancers at the time. And I wasn't one to get to class early. I usually got there right on time. And I walked in and there was not a space to be had and poor Ulysses was in a little chair in the corner and there were dancers like all over him and there was about three feet between him and the dancer in front of him. And so I took that space because it was all that was available. So I was literally like standing over Ulysses and probably spraying him with sweat, which seems like such a long ago thing that we used to do. And um, I guess it worked just grabbing the spotlight and dancing right in front of him. So
0: I was chosen. And, Wendy, a similar background question to you is, had you seen some of Ulysses' work before he came? I
3: didn't really know Ulysses' work um, until he came, and we started to get to know each other in the studio. Peter Peter knows a lot about how he was thinking about his different work at the time, which I think is fascinating.
2: Yeah, I, he had said at a later time, and, and I think I had asked him about this, which is why I knew... I also had a friendship that I developed with Margaret Selby, and she was really Ulysses' great friend at the time. But she mentioned to me, because she had been working with PBS on Two by Dove, um, that Ulysses really saw three works as a triptych, and hoped that red angels would be part of that triptych but the timing prevented it and perhaps the hour-long telecast that they were preparing but the three works that he saw as part of that triptych were dancing on the front porch of heaven obvious allusion to heaven um, serious pleasures which was really the allusion to hell in a way that that dark underworld if you will and then red angels in the middle which was sort of a purgatory he certainly talked to us about images of angels fantastic sort of accelerated flight, but also this dramatic pull of gravity that just would suck the the beings into the center of the earth as well. So we lived between the two gravity fields, uh, one heaven bound and one, you know, more hellish. Um, And I think that was his vision and it ties in with a lot of his themes that he used in many of his works.
0: Mary, would you like to jump in here and talk a little bit about the music that he chose by Richard Einhorn called Maxwell's Demon? I'm already thinking how this might all connect.
1: At the time, uh, the Diamond Project was asking for composers to send their music to the ballet. So Richard Einhorn sent a tape of all of his uh, music. And I got a call from Richard saying, well, uh, you know, I did this. And um, Ulysses Dove has chosen Maxwell's Demon to choreograph, which was very surprising. (laughs) Why would he choose such a strange little piece? And he also said that he wanted to change the piece a bit. He didn't like one of the movements, and he wanted Richard to write another movement, which was fine. And it turned out that the movement that he wrote was nearly exactly like the first movement of the original piece, uh, with slight slight change of uh, order of the repetitive parts and then as we came to work with the dancers i gained a little more understanding of why he did that Um, that he had the two pairs of couples and he introduced one and then he introduced the second with very very similar music and from there he went into more improvisatory work with all the dancers and then a feature at the end where everybody got a big solo. Very
0: beautiful progression. Mary, did Richard ever tell you what Maxwell's demon meant?
1: Yes, Maxwell's demon is a thought experiment of physics in in thermodynamics. (laughs) And it has to do with the image of a box that has a wall between the two sides And the one side having all these molecules and neutrons and whatever running around. And this little guy, this little demon, is standing at a little door. And occasionally he opens the door and one of the molecules goes in uh, to the other side. I used to explain it more like a random theory of, of this guy just kind of opening the door randomly and eventually everything ends up in the other side. But it's really more about the fact that if the fastest ones go to the other side, then the heat level changes from one side to the other. So instead of being both hot, one becomes hot and one becomes cool. And this was some amazing thing in thermodynamics.
3: Well, I have to say, I I, uh, was reminded in our last conversation, Peter Bull and I had about this ballet that, Ulysses had once told us that between the two couples, one of us was red on the inside and white on the outside. And the other was white on the inside and red on the outside. So we were opposites filled with each other's opposite. And so that idea of the door and the box and the energy exchange sounds like he did his research. It feels like a part of the choreography and the part of what he was doing in my estimate, especially with that door kind of feeling in the back when we walk forward. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that idea in the work that I, and I never knew what that was. So this is miraculous. Thank it's you for that info.
1: Thermodynamics, <laughs> whatever that yes. is. And it's, it, it, it's, but it, the other point of it, I think that's quite interesting is that it's a thought experiment. And, and somebody eventually named this little guy a demon as the, so that's how, and it was uh, Maxwell, the, the physicist Maxwell's idea. Uh, so it's called Maxwell's demon.
3: It also feels so much about thermal. I mean, it feels so hot, the piece. Um, it feels so electric. Yeah. So much.
1: Yeah, it does. It really does.
3: I, I also thought that
1: the randomness idea of, C- kind of applied to it as well because the idea of stretching ballet into modern dance, especially the third movement where everybody just kind of goes wild. And then also the improbableness of a violin being able to play a drum solo. But but I do think that that's true, that, that, that red hot, and that's exactly what Ulysses asked for in the, the difference between the two movements that were nearly identical was that the first one, was more reserved. The second one grew and became more intense. It was not an easy thing to to accomplish, really, with such similar music.
2: Mary, you were such a part of it. My goodness, the energy you brought to it. I think the piece was on one level with us working on it, but it just rose to another level when your presence came into the room and your talent. It was really...
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, it was, a you know, a, uh, an amazing opportunity for me to be able to be involved with that uh, project and and also amazing that I'm actually still playing it with dance <laughs> All these years later, so uh, quite quite something
2: Mary <laughs> you're the last original to keep going, so
0: that's <laughs> true, it's true. <laughs> can we go back to that moment before there was a step? y'all walked into the room with Ulysses. What were these first moments with him like? I'll jump in i I think we walked in
2: thrilled. um I think we walked in you know. We were pretty much five people in the room. I've been guessing that Jean-Pierre Frolick was there with us on the first day. I know Jean-Pierre was running back and forth to all these other things. So it really felt often like just the five of us in the room. But I, I think we, we sat down and we watched Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven. I think he referred to his experience, which was quite recent, with Serious Pleasures. And he was really enamored with one experience that was Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven and more felt burned by Sirius Pleasures. I, I don't know why. I think he was in great admiration of Parish Maynard and various other members of the cast, but somehow some pieces are great and some pieces are less successful. And I think the experience with *Serious Pleasures had him in a place of reservation. And I think he really wanted to know that the four of us we're going to rise to the occasion and meet him for some high level work and collaboration. My feeling was um, Ulysses was really sort of laying down the standards of this work environment. He talked about the importance of working with principal dancers as opposed to newer, younger or core dancers that had less experience. And I think he just wanted to say, look, I'm in this at the highest level. I want you to meet me there. If you're not gonna be on that plateau in the workplace, then." this is not the project for you, and I will understand, but let's get these rules of play established on day one. And it's never a bad thing to do. Um, I think we really had tremendous respect for the process and for him on day one, and that never wavered. And I think he realized he had a really good collaborative group in his realm.
3: I remember that. I, I was engaged in the work. I was feeling the need to truly show my commitment. Um, but at the same time, it was very different for me, this kind of work. I had to find and trust myself in it. So it, at first, I wasn't quite sure of what I needed to bring to the table to give him what he wanted, um, but he led that out of us. So he he pulled it mm-hmm. out of us, um, and we just stayed with it, and we went on the ride with him, and we followed his lead. He really led us and conducted us and 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 really really asked for our trust in him and I think that was important because like serious pleasure scared me as a ballet dancer when I saw it. This was a new way of speaking as a ballet dancer and it wasn't for everybody, you know, not everybody was going to be ready to come to the table for this new idea of how to work on point with a very different vocabulary and a different sort of pronunciation of steps. And I think he knew that. And that's therefore the reason that he needed us to trust him. And he needed to be able to trust us because he knew it was a challenge and a dare, a daring thing for us to all be doing together.
2: I would say um, improv had come, and I think I'd been working a little bit with Wendy Perrin on a solo where there was a lot of improv. And I think Bill Forsyth and Behind the China Dogs which I was a second cast for. And even at the early Twyla work Brahms handled, there'd been these really fun elements of improv. But I think what was new territory for me was Ulysses allowed us to arrange the musicality based on the physicality that was currently occurring. Um, so that, that meant that if you had an extra pirouette, you kept going. If you held a balance longer, you kept going. But then you had to have the musical sensibility to round it back up and bring it back to the music. And that was sort of a impromptu license um, that we had that I'd never been given before. I mean, my God, Jerome Robbins would never allow you to play music <laughs> So it was, it was wonderful. It actually made you more musical. Um, and it was, it was also nerve wracking and risky. And I know Wendy and I's relationship on stage had some risk because we didn't really know where we were gonna go. And, and, and I thought it was thrilling.
3: Yeah, that element of chance, that sort of Cunningham chance came really into play and we were very alive in each moment. All of our molecules and our antenna were like, (laughs) I just had to be watching and feeling. I had to feel where Peter was in his performance because if he was balancing, I had to wait until he was finished. And then I would go. And so it was very much, and I I was trying to explain this in another conversation, like a pinball machine where, you know, I was going to be hit with the finish of his, his movement to start my own. So we really bounced off of each other and we were always a little bit different in each show and, and, but very, very alive.
0: We had an amazing conversation on this podcast last year with Gene Freebury and Kay Mazo about Merce Cunningham's Summer Space. And in preparation for this, I was thinking through to what degree did Ulysses experience as a Cunningham dancer impact his choreography? So to hear you say what you just said is just amazing to me.
3: That was part of the dare. That was part of the electricity in the air was, we don't know what's going to happen. But we're going to follow the rules. And we're going to let it play out as to be the, the life that it is for this. 14 minutes on stage
2: felt like we had a little secret that we were in on often the five of us in the room Mm -hmm. mary became the sixth and jean-pierre from time to time we were also in the the rose building which to to date ourselves it had just been built so like there was not Mm -hmm. even anyone in the building we were like the only ones that were in these brand new studios and the doors were closed and i think we you know you kind of pinch yourself because you know you have something that's Going to be memorable, or you hope you don't really know till you encounter an audience. But I think as we watched each other do the run throughs, and you know, Albert looks amazing, and Darcy nailed that, and Wendy's on her leg here, and it's just and then to add the element of Mary. But it, it was, it's, I don't think I've had an experience where it's such a sheltered group of five with the secret product that you're just developing, and then to unleash it to an audience. <laughs> is The most um, opening night was really revelatory because it sort of confirmed our suspicion that we had something good.
0: What were some of those moments of exploration and discovery in that quiet, creative process with the small group of you?
3: I I have to say that, you know, more than any other choreographer, except maybe Jerry a little bit, Ulysses had us do run through after run through after run through after run through. Like we just ran the ballet numerous times each rehearsal. And it was, you know, it had to spill out. And then we did it again and spill out. And I just remember being like another, we had to do it another time, you know? So, um, but I I, uh, also very uniquely so much of his expression was sound effects so more than more than speaking in ballet terms or even dance terms or musical terms he would speak in like you know and that's like the language that i remember and i i was telling peter bowl that it was kind of like a a comic book like a batman comic book like pow zap boom you know and that's the, those are the sounds in my head and in my and and the choreography as i'm dancing it it's it's how long does that breath last that you know and what's the punctuation it's all it was all punctuation, which was very comfortable for a dancer like me who's you know kind of a natural punctuator in choreography um for better or for worse I I was you know I had that kind of body and physicality that was I enjoyed punctuating um but that's what the choreography felt like to me um a series of punctuation marks of expression
0: and Peter you have a story about a particular moment that became part of your solo that you inherited from another dancer could you share that
2: Yeah, sure. I will. And I I just, one more thought on what Wendy said, you know, we did, we, he'd ask us to run it. I think it was four times in an hour, which we, you know, we'd sort of been given notice at the beginning. So we needed to say yes (laughs) with enthusiastically. So we did, but we were exhausted because we had, you know, John Elaine was in the next studio waiting for us to work. I mean, we had five other hours that we had to give a tremendous amount to. But um, he d- divided up, I think we probably had an hour to develop our solos per. So we came one after the other. We were four hours in a row. And um, I followed Darcy for my solo. And when I walked in the room, there was just, I could feel that there was tension in the room between the two of them. And I didn't really know what had happened. I hadn't been in there. but. Um, they smiled, they thanked each other very respectfully. Darcy moved on and said, don't worry, we're going to find it. And Ulysses said, no, I know we will. It was very cordial. And then as soon as Darcy was gone, Ulysses stood up and he said, can you do this step? And it was this arabesque step. And poor Darcy in a hard point shoe was not able to stand there forever trying to do the arabesque step. But it was her step. And I happened to be the next one in the room. And he asked, and if it had been Albert, it would have been his step. But I love the step. Um, and it felt emblematic of my solo. It felt angelic. i I liked my arabesque at the time. I was happy to exploit it as needed um, for ulysses. and um, And so I inherited that step from Darcy, and I'm grateful, and I think she's grateful
0: too. She was happy to give it to me.
1: I love that moment. That's such a beautiful spot.
0: Now, when he came to do the two duets, could you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know there's a we've talked a little bit already about how the mood between Albert and Darcy is very different than the mood between the two of you in your duet.
3: I didn't really get to watch Albert and Darcy, so I didn't know what their duet was like. Uh, It was just Peter Bull and I, we just would work on our own, but when I got to see both, um, I could see the difference. And I was thinking, oh, the red on the outside and the white on the outside, and you know, the kind of the oppositions. And it made me think of violin concerto, the arias one and two, one being more introverted, and one being very extroverted or, or one more physical and one more sort of emotional or um, just different qualities, qualitatively. Um, I definitely felt that Peter Bowles and I, we had um, a speed factor involved and, um, and a, a connection through the air of setting each other off, um, just like a magnet, you know, so there was definitely a magnetism and the physicality and the speed and the spring in it and then darcy and albert they just felt more grounded and more um sort of i don't know they were they were saying they were presenting something i it almost felt like words to me and ours felt more like energy i I don't know i just felt that kind of qualitative difference only after i you know got to see both and, and those run throughs as they started to unroll.
2: You raise a good point, Wendy, that there were, we had secrets from each other. We didn't know each other's solos for a while. We didn't know each other's duets. We were working in compartments as well. I think you're spot on. I mean, I would think to say that there's, if you want an analogy, there's smolders and ours was burning. I mean, we were, there was no smoldering. We were just, you lit the fuse and out we went. Um, I thought there was a nice marriage of Wendy and I's strengths if Wendy has a secret weapon in her artistry it's technique and I think my secret weapon was more contemporary Um, technique was maybe on the outside and Wendy's was something that was underlying to everything she did but but there was actually a nice match there because we're both technical dancers we both love to move fast and um, you reminded me too that I would, I mean, we both did this. I would stand still at the end watching you dance and I wasn't allowed to move until you looked at me. And I kept thinking, but I have mm-hmm. so little time left to get my step in. Like, when is she going to look at me? And then you'd shoot that gaze across and I would just go because I had so little time. And then I'd shoot it back to you and we'd try to finish before Mary played that last note. And it was, it was electric, for lack of a better word. There was
3: something about there's something about that first duet that um feels very i feel I, I imagine albert's character and and darcy's character as sort of this lion this presence that's mm-hmm. like king power but it doesn't have to exude outward energy because the inward energy is so powerful so that quality that inward power of depth um, it doesn't have to present but ours is very much like representing we're presenting it our energy is out and and the other couple is very deep power the lion aspect of that i always felt from that first couple and there's something also about us walking forward as if we're on a catwalk and it was all about owning your space and owning your voice And that was Ulysses at that time.
2: and Ulysses would walk for us. <laughs> and he walked really well, so <laughs> he set the bar really high. And it was, you know, we couldn't do his walk, we were all individuals, but we had to find our walk.
3: He wanted that weight, that grounded the weight in the floor. He was like, put your feet in the floor, you know, let the floor accept your weight. So that was different for ballet, you know, in a way. Yeah, Albert was so beautiful. That
1: that opening with him coming out and and his that amazing squat with his, <laughs> it's just like wow, yeah. yeah, that was amazing.
2: I I think you can't really talk about Red Angels without talking about Albert, which always gets me very emotional. So I'll try to hold it together, but um, I I think you know if you really were to dissect the ballet, the there was more material for Albert than anyone else and that, that wasn't by accident. I think um, Ulysses saw a singular, I think he admired all four of us, all five of us, I should say. But um, I don't know, Albert's material was rich. It, it distinctly opened the third movement. It distinctly opened the first. It had a leonine quality, like you said, Wendy, and you know that chest strutting out with that beautiful body, just, it, he took the stage and he set the tone. And he did did. it in silence, and it was like, this is where we're going. And you could have heard a pin drop during that first solo. Um, And usually what I think of is Albert yelling at the lighting designer because he couldn't see or balance during those rehearsals. But um, but boy, he was impeccable and inspiring. And um, it was beautiful to see a choreographer tap into a dancer's talent and just lifted up uh for audiences to behold
3: you know when i first saw albert dance he was doing the workshop at sab and he was doing square dance the solo you know so he had this really quiet power and um this sort of gravity but flight at the same time and um I felt that quality in Red Angels as well. So, I mean, that was something that was so unique to him. And, yeah, he just really made something extraordinary. And, and I, I don't think the ballet would have been the same without him in it, for sure. I mean, he was the linchpin, the cornerstone, the master of ceremonies, and the conductor. But also a part of us at the same time so yeah
2: I I think in a way the four of us were a pretty disparate group I mean we weren't often I don't think we ever were together in a ballet I I mean I danced with you somewhat you and Albert danced together a lot Um, I rarely danced with Darcy Albert with Darcy a little bit but I feel like we were four separate entities in a way and I think each of us each of us felt like we had to rise to the level because we had admiration for the other three so it was—it was a beautiful, mutual, respectful place in a building, and you know, I wanted to get to Albert's level. Probably Albert wanted to get to my level, and vice versa, and all around. And I think it was—it was very healthy and, and inspiring.
3: Yeah, we we were we were very uh, much our own um, specific flavor of ingredients that Ulysses really enjoyed mixing. So we, we were such different artists and dancers and mentalities and, um, you know, we were all principles, but very different principles. So we all knew and we're all given access to our own powers. And we knew that we were a part of something bigger than us. And yet the combination of our uniqueness was what Ulysses loved.
0: When he came to do the solos did he specifically say that this is a runway or you guys are voguing or anything like that because it has that flavor to it for sure
2: I, I don't remember that I actually I think it was maybe on our minds because of the era but um, I'm, he didn't I don't remember him saying that to me and I'm actually glad he didn't because I would have had some bad version of it <laughs> I just think I didn't belong on a runway or voguing so I just had to find my own way to get downstage. Um, and I think he wanted an energy and a drive. I usually tell the dancers when I'm setting it, walk like you're going to walk right over that entire audience. It has that level of you know, mm-hmm. sort of like a free train with a beautiful, clear intention. Um, but everybody had their own walk. And um, Wendy, do you remember if he referenced catwalks or voguing or?
3: I don't think so. But the era of supermodels, So, and Albert was always, you know, calling people supermodel and it just, it was in our, it was, it it was on our tongue, you know, sort of, and it just kind of happened. But, but that energy, like you said, that you are, you know, you're going to walk forward like nothing else. Like you have the most important thing to say and it's coming from deep in your heart and it's incredible that you get that message out. And I think that that was, you know, where Ulysses was in his life. He had to get that message out because he was running out of time. None of us knew that. I didn't know that he was sick, but he was passionately desperate to get his artistic message and voice out.
2: You, you raised such a good point, Wendy, because it, he seemed to be living more fully in the creation of that. It, he was emphatic in the need to and then also I think as as forcefully as he put out to us, he was receiving it forcefully too. Because every time we do a run through, I started to think by the third run through we were just doing it for him to enjoy. So I'm not sure we needed to work on things. I just think he wanted to get two more shows in, in his hour. And um, mm-hmm. and it was the best audience, I mean. I think he'd jump up and hug us when something went really well and, and he'd tell us when it didn't but more often than not it was really admiration and love and empowerment and um, he gave it back from the front of the room like no one I've ever seen. It was great and, and maybe that has to do with him having an awareness that he was dealing with health issues. Um, I think I didn't really know. I, I might have known that he was just drawn but you know stunning in his movement um, just seeming thin um, but the energy was there. And then, of course, we went on to do Twilight, and the energy was completely different. Um, He was really dying in the front of the room every day, and, and we were keeping him going, I think, with that.
3: That piece was like his last thread of life. That's what he was living for, to get that piece finished and out, and then he was gone.
2: And, and he told us that. But so we knew. He said, I'm... Mm-hmm. Living to see the premiere of this piece, I mean, that's, that's a will.
0: Wendy, what are your memories from opening night of Red Angels? I remember
3: being completely in shock at how the audience reacted. Like they absolutely freaked out and I I did not expect the audience to like it that much. Um, But I think, um, and I, I honestly wasn't fully convinced until we got on stage and the lights were on and, Mary was completely hooked up, and we were in those red unitards. And then that performance, I, I it all came together. But I didn't have, I didn't imagine how it was going to fully come across until the, right before and right when it was happening. So,
2: I, I don't know the details of the time at City Ballet, but always at New York City Ballet, as, as we all know. Um, The pace is tremendous. Like you don't really get a dress rehearsal. You just like, you know, throw the costume on and go and let's we're in front of an audience tonight and there's Mary and she's playing. I don't think we had time to really process what was happening. The other thing that I think was brilliant that Ulysses did was he had mentioned that a teacher, a choreography teacher of his at Bennington College had told him, always leave the audience wanting more. And I think as we took those, you know, lion like steps upstage at the end. The audience couldn't believe that they were only getting 12 minutes. They were so into it. They it can't be the end. And it wasn't you can it's the end, but it wasn't until the curtain is actually blocking the vision that then you hear them roar because they know it's over. And he he really pulled an amazing magician's trick and just teeing you up for the whole next 20 minutes and he said, that's all you get. It's gone. And the audience roared and they were they were thrilled.
3: And, and one thing that I keep thinking about is, is sort of creating line through space. And, and I remember Ulysses saying, you know, your line is not how high your leg is. It's the space between your leg and the floor or your arm and the floor. That's the line. The line is the invisible area that that you're creating with your body parts. And so I was like, Whoa, that's deep. So that was really a different way of thinking about line but again through the choreography the line was in the energy that we shared through our eyes through our actions through our glances back over our shoulder and then our impetus to move forward with our chest so that line of energy was was made visual almost in a way that I'd never really, to a level that I've never experienced before. Peter Bull, talk about the, the um Graham pose yeah. that you realized.
2: Yeah, there was a picture. Uh, um, I didn't know that pose that I have in Al You know, I love the pose. It was fun to do. Ulysses worked on that pose quite a bit, trying to get the arm line the same as the leg line and even the top arm on the same line. And the focus being, you know, all of it was catering to these beautiful diagonals, but, um, I stumbled on a picture of Ulysses and he was in that pose and he never told me that. But um, I think it was actually after he passed that I saw the picture and it, it just felt so beautiful to have had a body assume what a body had done. And, you know, we all pass from this earth, but there's some legacy that traveled through, through body um, and, and he lived on through and then I passed to others. And it was it was a nice moment to discover.
0: And Peter, with that, I wanted to ask you, you very intentionally stewarded Ulysses legacy during your time at p and And why has that been such a big priority for you? And how has it shaped your dancers?
2: I think I was attached to the working process with Ulysses. He became a friend as much as a dancer and a choreographer do become friends. We had the opportunity to travel together a number of times because I had children and I would fly after the company to spend time with my children or fly home as soon as I was done to get back to the children. And so Ulysses would be flying to see the company in Red Angels. And and we were often on the same flight or we would arrange to be on the same flight because in the later years, he needed somebody to travel with him. And I was so happy to help him with his bag and through airports. And, you know, we, we went, traveled together to Paris and then we came home together. So we got to spend a lot of time together. But um I wanted to honor his work. I didn't want it to disappear. I saw him as an extremely talented choreographer that didn't have a company that was an anchor for his work as New York City Ballet is for so many choreographers, Balanchine Robbins, Peck, Wielden. I mean, the list goes on. Um, and, and you have Alvin Neely who has his own company that represents his work. and and so on, Um, Kid Pivot, but Ulysses didn't. It was all these works that were a bit in the wind and it wasn't going to be Ailey or Royal Swedish or ABT or City Ballet that could pull things together. So I thought we could do what we could do. I didn't think we had any business doing works that wouldn't suit us, but um, we did four of the works. We took a whole, an entire Dove program to Jacob's Pillow with three of the works and I just thought you know, something like Series Pleasures was really on the verge of disappearing forever. There wasn't a videotape. The set had been destroyed. People couldn't remember the costumes. Parrish Maynard had a great memory. Um, and we had, we had pictures and, and he was on the phone with Susan Jaffe saying, what did you do in this part? And she remembered. And so it felt like we saved it from, from destruction or, or, or being just obliterated from the dance landscape. But, um, you know, we have voices um, that were maybe not centered or amplified or or collected. And um, I think when you can and where you can, uh, we have an obligation to do that.
0: Here ends part one. The conversation about Ulysses Dove continues in part two, which is available now.